successful to burnt out by Carletta Abiyanek. Chapter 4. Relevance Deprivation Irrelevant Feeling irrelevant had a few entry points. I had no news about the community sector. No developments in my life apart from business ideas and draft business plans. Historically, I communicated with even my friends to pass on and receive information. I didn't know how to talk to them without news. DSM Diagnostic Criteria A.1 Deficits in Social Emotional Repriosity Ranging, for example, from abnormal social approach and failure of normal back-and-forth conversation to reduced sharing of interests, emotions or affect to failure to initiate or respond to social interactions. I was unreliable so wouldn't commit to any projects or jobs. While living in Rockhampton, I couldn't participate in Brisbane-based community events where my friends and networks were. I miss the times when I felt part of a movement. I miss those times when people were taking my advice. It seemed that my thoughts no longer mattered to anyone. I no longer felt valued. I miss times when people were relying on me to get something important done. I felt relevance deprivation in the midst of unacknowledged autistic burnout. Isolated. I felt separate from others in Rockhampton. The working class didn't seem to have a very responsible work ethic. I couldn't respect someone when they left things to chance with a that'll do, doesn't have to be perfect attitude. I prefer to do everything I can at work, even if it's not necessary. Feeling separate from the working class, the only friends I could make were pot smokers. Sometimes I could see them look at each other, aghast at what I'd said. I was easy to manipulate, not being able to say no when they expected me to lend them some of my stashes. I learnt to say no, but the persistent questioning and demanding would mean I'd often hand over some of it more often than I'd liked. I hated being addicted to pot, it being something else that made me feel trapped. It felt like such a waste of money. The money I could have been saving up to move into a new house. However, I smoked it because it would bring about a shift in my mental state. It also slowed down my thoughts, which were frequently racing by and being intrusive. Having smoked it, I could somehow, I could sometimes feel too exhausted to worry about anything. Humiliation. Normally in those days, I felt ashamed and separate from others from being unreliable and not working full time. I was embarrassed that I was an adult living with my mum. I was frustrated that I couldn't find a long-term share house. I was also sure that when I was talking with people, my eyes looked like I was crazy. This explanation is what I used to justify having a hard time looking in people's eyes. I wondered if, in the past, the explanation was that feeling like a fraud held me back. These explanations didn't quite fit. I hope there was a bigger picture explanation for why I seemed shy. 
Because of my anxiety around cleaning, I tried to access home support. I was knocked back with, you don't need help around the home, no one likes cleaning. And we can't support you because you don't have a severe disability. Mum and I ended up hiring a regular cleaning service. I'd think, or others would say to me, that I'm leeching money out of the government coffers. There is such a strong sense from some people that no self-respecting person would allow themselves to stay on the doll. I was told I should be working with phrases like, just get a job, you'll be great, you'll surprise yourself. I don't know why you're not on the doll. I'm sorry, I don't know why you're on the doll. And no one likes working. I felt that I couldn't be respected because I'd succumbed to depression and anxiety. I felt that I couldn't be respected because I was on the disability pension. It was rare that I could concentrate while studying, which would improve future employment. I felt broken, with no way to regain my productivity. Even if I did, did gain my productivity and creativeness, I feared that I was too weak to follow through the project until the end. Therefore, I wouldn't commit to big projects or volunteer jobs. Cleaning Anxiety One thing that I still have trouble with nowadays for me to be able to complete a cleaning task. First, I have to feel free to do it, as in not dreading it. My body movements do what I want, and I see a point to doing it. Not only do I have to see the point, but I have to grasp it and hold on to it. Holding on to a feeling of needing to do something is a huge challenge for me. I will either clean the house out of fear, from a clear feeling of wanting to do it, or because someone has just told me they expect me to do it. I must be annoying to live with, as I need constant reminders why something is important. As much as I logically know the dishes need cleaning, there's often a murkiness and anxiety there. Holding on to feeling why a task needs to be done is something I'll be working on with my psychologist at some point. I've also found that working on something gradually, every now and then, over time, works best for me when I can't make myself do something then and there. In cleaning, I call it spring cleaning as in the first breaths of spring air in the season. Dismissing my diagnosis. In 2012, a clinical psychologist diagnosed me with being on the autism spectrum. I don't have a clear memory of this, but it's possible that he asked me if I like him to explain about Asperger's. I would have laughed out a no. Of course I didn't have any form of autism. It wasn't at all relevant to me. I could just imagine the shame of being referred to as a retard by others. I don't know what I knew about the autism spectrum and Asperger's. But I did know that I was not confined to a wheelchair, unable to speak. Sure, I'd been unable to speak for the past six months. Only half-formed words would come out. Surely that would have been physical somehow. Even a physical examination showing nothing wrong didn't convince me. 
They must have missed something, surely. Thinking of Louise Hay's books on healing yourself, I thought maybe I couldn't speak because I didn't feel safe in speaking to my mum. She would share too much information about me to others. I did a brief bit of research online about Asperger's, but didn't relate to anything I read. Independence. I called the Department of Housing a couple of times to ask how my application for housing is going. In one conversation, I asked that a couple of suburbs be changed from Brisbane to around Rockhampton. I was desperate to move into my own place. I didn't want to live with my mum anymore. Unfortunately, that call finally triggered some action because within two weeks I'd been accepted for a house in a country town. I was angry at myself for changing my suburbs. That would turn out to be another two years of isolation, depressive states and continued anxiety. However, during those years in Mount Morgan, Queensland, I committed again to building my life from scratch. This time, I'd practised a long-term outlook. Relevance Deprivation Contributions Kathy. In the time between returning to work and the second time in resigning, I had a, an abstract accepted for a conference, one of only two from our organisation, and the only person asked to give a presentation, a speed talk. Despite having been encouraged to pursue the project, the organisation later decided not to pay for my conference registration. I paid for my own registration and used annual leave to attend. Seventeen people from my organisation were at the conference that day. While the speed talks were well attended, none of them showed up except my project partner, and even she didn't stay for the whole presentation. This contrasted to the well-attended talks given by staff members at previous conferences, and I felt gutted and rejected. After the conference, the director and CEO advised me that they would not be supporting the project after all. I felt that my strengths, research and presenting, were now utterly worthless to the organisation and my weaknesses, socialising with colleagues and needing to work overtime to finish a day's work, were all that anyone saw. Despite still doing the core work of nursing professionally, I felt useless, worthless and started to doubt my competence in that too. I felt that I'd wasted my money and time doing the Masters, that it was a detriment rather than a benefit. When I resigned from the permanent nursing role, it seemed that my manager was relieved and glad to see me go. This perception was confirmed two years later when, more emotionally stable, I applied for my old job and he rejected the application, saying he believed I might become unreliable again due to my previous sick leave. He had also, as my primary referee, passed on these concerns to several potential employers, meaning I couldn't get any other work either. Diagnosis In January 2015, after my son's autism diagnosis, I was reading about the ways autism may present 
and laughing over a passage, denial and arrogance, that read like a skillfully worded description of both my father and my oldest son. When I read the next session, Imitation, however, I stopped laughing because it described me. Although we'd always said Gareth was just a little me, what that meant hadn't sunk in until then. I became obsessive in my reading, drawing on as many sources as I could. Journals, autobiographies, blogs, textbooks, lectures and presentations. And the more I learnt, the more I recognised myself. I threw myself into online autistic women's groups and found for the first time in my life that I didn't have to camouflage. I was part of a tribe where people had similar struggles, similar stories, and really understood the daily labour involved in being autistic. My previously confusing personal history a strange patchwork of extreme competence and sudden ineptitude, strongly held immutable opinions and chameleon-like camouflaging groups made coherent sense. I began to feel internal pressure to seek a diagnosis. I wanted to be absorbed into this area, but didn't feel I could say I was autistic if it was only my conviction underlying that. Despite our reduced financial situation, my husband agreed that this was something I had to do. Approaching the assessment, suddenly I was terrified that I'd be told I wasn't autistic. What if the only group that had ever understood me wasn't my tribe after all? When I went in for the assessment results, I was visibly shaking. The psychologist understood. Her first words to me were, well, you're definitely an Aspie. I was so relieved I actually whooped. I felt free to start moving my life work into autism support and advocacy. Lena. I feel relevance deprivation on a fairly regular basis since starting practice, and I actually feel it most with some patients, surprisingly. I'd struggled through med school, but that was mostly internal. Interestingly enough, I had a sufficient amount of friends in med school, and I got along with professors quite well too. My struggles mostly involve learning difficulties. I can learn quite efficiently when the material is presented in a particular manner, but it was presented in a manner that was incompatible with my learning style. The relevance deprivation I have felt since graduation involves my own self-doubt about whether or not I actually feel appreciated by patients for the effort put forth on their behalf. I have experienced disrespect, irrationality, immaturity, false accusations, such as not having done something they wanted that I actually did, or having done something wrong that I didn't actually do, etc., most of all, I'm tired of the bitching and complaining that I hear at times. I know that it sounds like this happens all the time, but truthfully, it's actually quite a small percentage of the time. 
However, as I'm sure you know, any little hiccups can cause major ripple effects for long periods of time in us Aspies, autistic peeps. And that's certainly true for me as well. Liz, when I wrapped up my career, I went into a state of mourning. It was everything to me, but I wasn't interested in pursuing a career anymore. I was a mother now, and I tried to combine the two, but it wasn't working. I wasn't self-medicating anymore, and everything was bubbling to the surface. My anxiety was so high, coupled with a baby who did not sleep, and my own insomnia, I was at breaking point. But I didn't have time to worry about me, and I became a mother who was obsessed with being perfect. Perfectionism has been a trait for me my whole life, and was a positive and a negative in my career. It was at this point I started to seek help through medical practitioners and psychologists. I would turn up to the doctors and burst into tears. I had an amazing doctor who helped me navigate my life at this time. On reflection, this was a turning point for me. I was seeking help and not just blaming myself or internalising my anxieties.